Hello, hello, and hello, everybody! Welcome back for another episode. If not now, when? Today, I am so so honored to invite our special guest to join us today, and she has this beautiful name. Her name is Rina Pachaco Fair. She's a CEO and co-founder at Boutique. They are building a trusted vacation rental brand and real estate investment engine. At Boutique, they use data science to acquire and manage luxury vacation rentals. And Boutique, they believes that the time is precious, and that moments of a brilliant stay will become a memory that lasts an entire lifetime. Prior to launching Boutique, Rina came from a corporate as well as a startup world. She earned her MBA from MIT and Master of Public Affairs from University of Texas and Bachelor degree from Georgetown University. Wow, she's a smart, smart leader. With that, I am super excited. Thank you so much, Rina, for joining us and welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Really excited to talk today. Yes. So, Rina, tell us how does the all journey begin? So, how does the journey begin? I think we can start a little bit, even just in the name, right? Yeah. So, I have a very long last name. It's Pacheco Thayard, and I am married, but I didn't take my husband's last name. I already had two, so I felt like <laughs> I was, it was sufficient. Uh, but the Pacheco is on my mother's side. Mm-hmm. It's Hispanic, originally out of Spain. She was born in New Mexico. And then the Thayard is French on my dad's side. And so my great-grandmother spoke only French, um, and they went to New Orleans. And so that's kind of where that side of the family began. And I personally, I was actually born in Portland, Oregon, uh, but the family moved to northern Idaho, a Mm -hmm. town called Coeur d'Alene, which is all all around Lake Coeur d'Alene. It's really beautiful. People actually know about it a lot more today. It's one of the hottest real estate markets. It was not when I was uh, living there and growing up, oh, wow. um, but it's always been just an absolutely beautiful mm-hmm. location. And so that is where I was raised, was there in kind of rural Idaho. I always think it's a little bit redundant to say it's rural because there's not like urban, but there is more and more today. <laughs> so like Boise and some other yeah. um, spots, uh, it gets more populated. Wow. And how does that experience grow up in a, in a family, in a quite a ruler side, and you have those two beautiful culture descendant, you know, in a family household? How does that experience mm-hmm. like? So for me, it's always just so interesting to learn a little bit more about where my parents came from and mm-hmm. then kind of respect that ancestry. And for me, I think a lot of my life is about perseverance mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, different things that go well, don't go well, but always continuing forward. And part of that, I think, is understanding the struggles that, you know, whether it's my parents or mm-hmm. their parents and their parents went through. And so understanding that, you know, Thayard and Pacheco spirit yeah. and taking that into my own life and for me, I really appreciate getting to learn yeah. as much as I can. And I love it when, you know, there are pictures and things that my parents share and, you know, little kind of anecdotes about their childhood and that yeah. heritage that for me, I think it's important to learn as much as I can, but then to honor it in my mm-hmm. own life by really making those folks proud, but also continuing that tradition of, you know, persevering regardless of the circumstances. I love that. I love that you have such intention to honor the culture, the experiences from both family. And this might be a put you on the spot, but how to describe the culture of Pacheco? That's 
I actually, it's interesting because I, I think it's kind of similar, even though it's different countries, uh, when I think about the heritage on the Pacheco side as well as the Thayard, but I yeah. think about family. Mm. And I remember there was a, kind of a, a large Pacheco family reunion, which there weren't others. Like, I don't, I only remember this one. And we went to, like, the Pueblo in New Mexico, and we were running around with all the cousins, and it was all about food and family. And for me, like, that that resonates. That's Aww. Those are two things, you know, that I care quite uh, deeply mm-hmm. about. And I actually think that that's a consistency across cultures mm-hmm. is understanding kind of the beauty of family and then family coming together mm-hmm. for big, delicious meals. Yeah. And that's definitely something that I love to do. Oh, my God. I love that. And oftentimes I joke about people in America, I read this book called The Love Language and mm-hmm. there are five love language. I often joke with my friends that my love language is not in the book. Mine is the food <laughs> because when I love people, I feed them. Yes. And I love that what you said about that. So, um, uh, you know, quite quite similar across all the culture is we truly show love by showing them our cuisines, our food. We want to show them the, the entire experience and it's like made me so... So happy to hear that. That's 100% correct. And for me, I actually do the same thing in terms of my love language. It's like, yeah. it's, I guess they could call it like acts of service if you want to say that yeah. the creating of food is a service. <laughs> but it's like, I'm going to do things. I'm going to like, I'm going to help, I'm going to prepare these things. I'm yeah. going to take care of things. It's like showing and then the creation of food. I know for my mom, that, mm-hmm. was, a, that was a key and she still does it to this day is that she shows us love through these incredible mm-hmm. creative meals that she makes always. So beautiful. So now back to you, Rina. You know, grew up in a quite a rural town with a you know quite diverse family or culture. How do you see it for yourself regarding where you want to be? Do you always know you want to be an entrepreneur? I didn't, and I actually didn't know the word mm-hmm. or really understand what entrepreneurship or business. It wasn't until later in life that those terms actually mm-hmm. meant more to me. I would I would say it was kind of after I did my public policy degree. Yeah getting involved in the Austin kind of startup ecosystem, Mm -hmm. that's where it kind of became, you know, became something that was like, oh, this can be a career. There's more that Mm -hmm. can be done here. And I also think that that tracks with just as a country, the proliferation of like Mm -hmm. entrepreneurship programs and Mm -hmm. accelerator, you know, there's just a lot more activity than I think there was growing up. So growing up, I think I, there were two careers that I had in mind. And one one was a lawyer and the second was an opera singer. (laughs) This is like when I was like very young. Uh, But I remember I wanted to be a lawyer because I really liked the idea of fighting for justice. Mm -hmm. So the idea of using your words and your talent and your knowledge Mm -hmm. to be able to make a case, to persuade, Mm -hmm. to affect some type of change. Um, And then opera singer was because I love to sing. So I did choir, you know, as a a kid and all the way through uh, through high school. I did a tiny bit in college, but not not as much. But those were kind of two passions of mine, I would say. But that's kind of like the young mind imagining what you could do. But I would say without knowing the terms entrepreneurship mm-hmm. well, I, from a young age, was an entrepreneur. Mm, and so, so I remember there was uh, construction going on with a bridge that you had to drive across this bridge to get to our house. Like we lived out in the country yeah. and you had to drive across this bridge. And I remember one summer there was construction. And so with my best friend, Louisa and her family, we set up a lemonade stand because her family lived really close to the other side of the bridge. And so we set up this lemonade, like very classic lemonade story, but we set it up during this period of construction where there was really a captive 
thirsty audience. And yeah. uh, we were all just so thrilled. We couldn't believe that we were earning this money. We loved it. And it was like prime time. It was really beautiful because it wasn't yeah. just like on an idle street on a dead end. Mm-hmm. You were like right there when construction was happening. And we made so much money. And this again, this is like little kid money, but yeah. it was a huge thing. And that idea of my efforts can translate into results. That's something that, you know, that's an example with my siblings. Mm-hmm. I grew up the middle of five kids um, wow. with my siblings. You know, some of uh, not everyone was in the home all at the same time. But when we were younger, we started the neighborhood that we grew up in was called Cougar Gulch. And we created this Cougar Cleaners where our us little kids, and we made like flyers and we sent them to neighbors. But the idea was you could hire us to like weed your garden, to like, wow. you know, do norm, like little basic cleaning jobs. You know, we were not super sophisticated, but we wanted to work. We wanted to earn money. We wanted to help out the, mm. the neighbors, et cetera. And so we did that. I also started with like my cousin, Claire. We did a beat shop we did we went to like a festival and we would sell jewelry so it's like I always actually was kind of an entrepreneur without knowing that that's what I was doing wow and I'm curious what what inspires that what's the seed of that were you just want to hustle were you just want to make impact what I think it was the the belief that nothing is going to change or improve in my life unless I do something Mm -hmm. and I'm totally capable of doing something. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I didn't grow up super wealthy, Mm -hmm. you know, very working class family. My dad was a firefighter. My mom, you know, stayed at home with us. She had a a previous career of being a nurse. Mm -hmm. Um, But so, you know, we didn't have tons of resources. We always had enough, 100%. uh, But we didn't have a ton of resources. And I know that I saw from my parents a really strong work ethic. Mm -hmm. And I knew that if I applied myself, there were things that I could achieve. So I was never Mm -hmm. waiting for someone else to do it for me, Mm -hmm. to like push me ahead or give me something. Instead, I was thinking, what can I create? What can I do Mm -hmm. to show like that work ethic, but Mm -hmm. also to see the results, to see the impact. And so I would say that's where it came from was this desire internally. So it was Mm -hmm. never from an external, no one ever said, you need to do this or like you should do this. Rather, I think I just grew up in a really loving, supportive environment where I saw these things are possible Mm -hmm. and no one was ever going to tell me no. <laughs> I was just going to do it myself. And yeah. I think that was really important. Wow, Rina. I never knew that about mm-hmm. you. You were literally hustling you know, when you were, <laughs> what, seven, eight years old. And wow, that truly is in your DNA. Mm-hmm. And with that experience in mind, Rina, how does that, those journeys shape you into, you know, when you think about a career, when you go to a college, did you become opera singer or a lawyer? <laughs> yep, neither of those is exactly what, what panned out. Uh, I did international politics Why? for my undergrad. Well, the idea was, and a lot of it, you know, I was in high school when September 11th happened, and my feelings about what I wanted to study actually predated that event. But, uh, you know, I was kind of graduating, going to school around that time. And I remember that idea of impact was always very important to me. And so Mm -hmm. I remember we would have debates about, you know, are there nuclear weapons or what are we going to do with this thing or what happened with this world event? And we would have, I did debate in high school, and you'd have these debates even within the classroom format outside of debate the activity. And it doesn't matter what a bunch of high school kids in in Idaho decide. It matters if somebody is in a position of power to Mm -hmm. actually influence 
these events to mm-hmm. influence what's happening. And so my desire to study international politics was I want to make a difference, you know, that that whole feeling which a lot of people have, mm-hmm. I want to make a difference, I want to leave the world better than I found it. Yeah. And that idea of tracking impact and it's and my thinking at the time was what better way to have impact than to enter the international stage because that's mm-hmm. the greatest impact you could have. So if you are affecting positive change on the international Mm -hmm. level, there's no greater use of my time and talents, right? Mm -hmm. When you think about like, I've got these two hands and I've got this voice and I've got this, uh, you know, this knowledge and ability to, you know, to learn and to think critically. If I could use these talents in that way, I could have the biggest impact. That Mm -hmm. was my thinking. Um, And then, yeah. And then you also learn as I, you know, I studied, I learned a ton about the international system. I, you know, met incredible classmates from all over the world. I went into that field initially, and I basically found that in my quest for impact, that wasn't actually where I had the most impact. So I find the issues to this day fascinating and important. Mm -hmm. And the progress that's been made on, you know, issues like global health and Mm -hmm. food insecurity, you know, there's honestly, it's been incredible to see the progress that has been made. Mm -hmm. But I made that personal decision that, okay, I first was at a think tank, then an advocacy organization. And I found if I am not on the ground as like a medical worker or an engineer helping to build wells or something that was like more on the ground, tangible, really creating programs, working with communities. If I wasn't going to be doing that, if I was going to be working here in the U.S., Mm -hmm. this may not be where I'm actually seeing my personal impact, Mm. which is not to say that there isn't a ton of impact in that space. There 100% is, and I love seeing that. But with what I saw for myself that wasn't actually where I was going to have the mm-hmm. biggest impact. And uh, there was a, with my husband, he was just a boyfriend at the time, but with my now husband, Dan, we had started back in D.C. So I did undergrad in D.C. and, and stayed there for a couple years after graduating. We started a soccer nonprofit. It was like a soccer and academic nonprofit. Wow. It's called City Football Club, City FC. And these were students who actually came to the U.S. from the countries that I was working on in my full-time job. They came from Cameroon, Cote d'Ivoire, Ethiopia, you know, Afghanistan, all over. They mm-hmm. came, um, they were usually first generation in the U.S. or they had, they were immigrants, they were refugees. And I found, because we did academics, I did the academic program with mm-hmm. them to help them with their high school coursework and then to apply to colleges. And And so I help them kind of on the academic side and then other folks, because I am not like the soccer star, other folks provided the, you know, high quality athletics for free. And I found, wow, I feel like I'm making more of an impact here Mm -hmm. in D.C. with these students than I'm making in this full time job. Mm -hmm. And that was an interesting like I, not really decision, but it was an interesting analysis that led to the decision to focus more domestically, that mm-hmm. I didn't need to travel mm-hmm. across the world to find issues that needed to be worked on mm-hmm. or to find areas that I could lean in and have an impact. So that's kind of what brought me you know, to Texas was this public policy degree thinking, okay, let's go domestic now. We don't have to be international, mm-hmm. which, and that's, I would say, another kind of through line in my life and career is that I am never afraid to change my mind. 
And by that, I mean when there is new information or when I learn something, I don't feel that I have to stick with what was originally the plan. So whether that was like the lawyer opera singer or I'm going to work in the international field, if I'm finding like I'm going to take in the experiences and the knowledge and then I'm going to adjust. Mm -hmm. That's, That's what I always do. It's like take in the learnings. What, what have I learned? What is different now? And then mm-hmm. let's adjust to the next area that I believe will be a better fit, mm-hmm. that I can do more. It's going to feel better, whatever, whatever that is. Um, and I think that's important because I think sometimes yeah. when, we, when we've told people that we're doing something or when we've already been doing something for so long, it can feel like, well, I guess this is what I do now. And it's yeah. like, no, like it's totally up to you and you should use those experiences to shift into that next area mm-hmm. informed by the prior experiences and like keep finding that best fit. Wow. I think that speaks for tremendous courage that you have. Not only have the courage to really having that self-reflection, knowing who you are, knowing what really is the right fit at the moment, but also having the courage, acknowledging that and follow through whatever in your heart, That's knowing right. that's the best fit at the moment. That speaks for tremendous courage. That's, that's, a, that's a good point. It's funny because it actually it makes sense when you say it. Like You do have to have courage to do that. But in my head, I'm just thinking like, okay, this is what I have to do. Like I, you know, maxim, you know, maximize my potential. I've got to do this next thing. But there is courage because you have to be kind of brave enough to say, okay, I'm doing this different thing and mm-hmm. I'm I'm gonna go for it. I think that is probably one of the one of your superpowers <laughs> to make Rina who you are today. And so tell us what's next. Sounds like you are you pivot, you now moving to Austin, Texas. Uh, after the master's degree, then what's next for you? Correct. And then I did consulting for Deloitte. And so I was traveling and it was government consulting. So Mm -hmm. there was this real nice kind of public sector impact that I loved. But consulting is, it's a lifestyle choice. It was not, you know, a few hours working in your home city. It was significant time traveling to be on the client site. And so I found that lifestyle was not necessarily one that I wanted in the long term, mm-hmm. the kind of traditional consulting model. Um, but I loved kind of the people I worked with, the impact, all of that. But I also found that I was only working on public sector projects. Mm-hmm. And when I did my public policy degree, public affairs, you have to take accounting. I did, I was like a TA for our, we did microeconomics, macroeconomics. We did analyzing government economic statistics. We did quantitative methods. It's actually, even though you might think it's like a soft degree, the idea of public policy or public affairs, it's a very hard degree. It's mm-hmm. a, it's a very uh, quantitative degree, but the rest of the world doesn't necessarily know that. <laughs> and so what I found is People looked at my resume of, okay, she studied international politics. She worked at these, you know, nonprofits. She started a nonprofit. She did this public policy degree, a very social public sector Mm -hmm. person. Mm -hmm. They didn't see the business acumen and the financial rigor analysis that's actually part of analyzing good public policy. Mm -hmm. It's like tracking results, measuring it, like all of that, and using linear programming to know where do you put fire stations relative to where the population is. Like it's actually a very um, quantitative heavy field if Mm -hmm. if you choose to look at that side of the analysis. But the public perception was that it was kind of like a softer, just public policy you know, um, degree. And so I was like, I want to be taken seriously 
for, yes, the things that I've already done, but I want to be taken seriously from a business perspective because I have all of these rigorous analysis tools and statistics. I have all of that, mm-hmm. but it's not necessarily seen that way. And so I'm kind of being pigeonholed into one area of the world mm-hmm. when I'd like to approach some of these other issues and really understand more. And so that was the decision for me about going to get my MBA. Mm-hmm. It's like, I want to learn more mm-hmm. on that. And also from a resume perspective, I want people to understand that I have that mm-hmm. financial acumen. Mm. I completely understand. I have a master's degree in advertising, and people, of course, assume similar, and that's yes. exactly how uh, I go to my, my another uh, degree as well. So tell us, after MIT, what happened? Then I worked on for my first startup that I was doing really, like as myself, you know, myself as kind of the CEO and co-founder, that I'd helped out with various projects, getting involved in the Austin startup ecosystem, mm-hmm. you know, even kind of during my public policy degree, but hadn't done anything full time. And so that was my first opportunity to do something full time. So it was an education, like ed tech startup called Prepify. Yeah. I still love the mission. I'm so passionate about it. Uh, the idea of Prepify was to help talented but underserved high schoolers mm. go to great colleges. It's amazing. Because, you know, there's so many statistics that I could share, but the the key takeaway is that very talented but under-resourced high schoolers mm-hmm. do not get the connection and resources and support to go on to great colleges that will open up all the career opportunities that they deserve. And it's this great talent trove and just incredibly deserving population that really doesn't get support in that transition. And if you think about kind of what I shared earlier about my background is like, for me, that transition from you know high school to college was not an easy one. My parents hadn't gone to a four-year college. Uh, and for me, up, you know, taking the tests, applying. I didn't have any adult helping me with my applications. That's like unheard of yeah. today. That's like unheard of. I remember I asked my my classmate Margaret, like, "Hey, Margaret, could you look at my uh, could you look at my application?" Um, and I have you know done well in school. I you know test well, all of those things. So I actually had. Uh, a really strong application, mm-hmm. but it was just this random conversation that I even heard about the school of Georgetown. It was just, I happened to talk to somebody who mentioned it one time. Yeah. And so I applied there and that made a world of difference. Mm-hmm. Just, I was already competitive enough. I'd been doing very well. Yeah. I was already qualified to you know attend, to get scholarship, all of those things. But just that connection point is just key. And a lot of even more talented, even more deserving students don't get that connection point. So I'm still very passionate about what uh, the intention was with Prepify. But I basically, at the end of the day, I think there were kind of larger things happening where, you know, Khan Academy partnered with the makers of the SAT to provide free SAT prep. Like there were more things happening that kind of changed the landscape where what we were doing was not as unique. And we certainly had nowhere near the resources. Mm -hmm. And I found, and I think other entrepreneurs can probably relate to this, but that chicken and egg problem where to get investors, you need to show traction. Mm -hmm. But to get traction, you need investors to build the thing, to, you know, to do the stuff. And so I found that we were kind of in that no man's land where we had a great great team and this great idea, but that funding and traction... Mm -hmm. um, challenge mm-hmm. was one that was very difficult and like the overall landscape changing. And what I shared earlier is that at a certain point I determined, okay, so I have all of these skills and I'm doing all, you know, I have, I have this background. I know what I want to do. 
this is not, it's not hitting the way that it should. Mm -hmm. And I had to make that more difficult decision of like, okay, I'm going to to stop working on Prepify. I'm going to, you know, look at, I ended up going to Indeed, I'm going to go to a corporate environment, really Mm -hmm. use my MBA, go to this, you know, get this additional experience. But that's the thing about entrepreneurship and and life in general is like knowing when to call it. Because there could have been a version of me that just kept rolling with Prepify, even though there were significant challenges that really meant it wasn't what I should be working on, Mm -hmm. um, on a continued basis. Uh, But I feel really grateful that I did have that analysis to say, okay, this isn't what I want it to be. Mm -hmm. And others are working on this problem who have more resources Mm -hmm. and I need to go and do something else. And I think that was really important. And I think you point out a very important perspective in knowing that when to call it. But on the other hand, you also, we also heard so much about resilience, Mm -hmm. about not giving up. Yep. So what's your perspective, Runa, about how to balance those two voices in your head and knowing the right path. I love that. I love that because if you think about the two, if you just said, okay, Rena shared these ideas and one of them is like persevere and resilience and the other is like know when to call it. Like, are those contradictory? Mm -hmm. And for me, not at all. It's like those have to go together because the perseverance and the resilience, that is when you are you know, working towards some goal and you continue to believe in its merit mm-hmm. and that this is exactly where, you know, where I need to go, what I need to be doing. And if there are some difficulties, I'm not going to let that dissuade me mm-hmm. from what I'm doing. And I also see a viable path. It doesn't mean it's easy, but I see a viable path yeah. and this is a path that has merit. And I think you also have to have the wisdom to know when this is no longer a viable path. Mm -hmm. So if those, you know, if there are more than trivial, more than minor roadblocks and you find that you're not having the impact, then you need to reassess and Mm -hmm. to put yourself out there, you know, again, to do something different. And so, uh, you know, the perseverance and resilience, it isn't just continuing something simply because you've been doing it and you you would like it to be successful. It really has to be with a view to this can work mm-hmm. and I've just got to keep going. And I think what I found with, with Prepify is this isn't going to work. Mm-hmm. And I, you have to kind of have the maturity to see that mm-hmm. to move on to the next great adventure. Yeah. Speaking about adaptability, that yes. is a through life, yes. through our entire lifetime. That's so brilliant. So now bring us to Indeed. How did that experience in the first yeah. corporate That's journey? it, because Deloitte was corporate, but I was public sector clients. And so it's, you know, it's not 100% a corporate environment. And so at Indeed, you know, very large company. I think there were 8,000 employees worldwide working there. And so that was fascinating to see, you know, how is a company like that set up? And I was on kind of the finance side. It was strategy, mm-hmm. um, kind of finance and strategy for the new products portfolio. Mm-hmm. And so I loved getting to learn more about a big company and from the financial perspective, um, internal ways that innovation is fostered, like this incubator that Indeed has, um, all, all sorts of, you know, cross collaborative efforts with, you know, the teams that work in Dublin and all over, you know, uh, I found that it was a great opportunity to learn all about that. But I also found that my quest for impact that I always have, that I wasn't necessarily 
seeing the impact with my particular efforts that I'd want to. So if I saw something, if I identified something Mm -hmm. that I believed should be changed and you came up with, you know, a case for it in terms of you worked on Mm -hmm. the research and analysis, made a proposal, the reality is I wasn't in a position where I could necessarily then act on all of those. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to. (laughs) That's where uh, my... Desire for impact means that I have a bias towards action. Mm -hmm. I want to see results. I want things to be different because I was there. Yeah. Different in a good way, right? Yeah. I want things to be different. I don't, I don't ever want to like put my feet up at the job and like, oh, I'm collecting a great salary. Life is good. That is not satisfying for me at all. If I'm going to be doing something, I'm doing something because I believe there is value Mm -hmm. in what I'm doing that is going to be materialized, right? Mm -hmm. And so that quest actually meant that, you know, side hustle at, you know, through a couple of these experiences was that my husband, Dan, and I, we had been kind of renting out properties for short, as short-term rentals. And we were doing this and I always thought it was just a side hustle. Mm -hmm. You think about what I study, you know, international politics, et cetera. This is not somebody who's running a you know short-term rental company. Um, but it was this, this side hustle that where as when I worked on Prepify, I had this great idea that I wanted other people to believe in. Mm-hmm. This great thing, like, please believe in this thing. It should exist. Help me uh, to do this thing that I know the world needs. Whereas with Boutique, what we were doing in terms of like a, applying a data rather than emotion perspective to where to buy short-term rentals, you, you know, vacation rentals, these homes where uh, families stay, you know, applying a data perspective to where to buy them, how to set them up, you know, mm-hmm. how do you optimize for that guest experience so people have the best time, how do you price it, um, understanding willingness to pay, events mm-hmm. that are happening, you know, demand, all of that, that I didn't think that was necessarily a business. It was just how we were earning revenue for our household. But people started approaching us mm. saying, hey, I, you're killing it with this. What are you guys doing? Or could you help me find a place? Could you help run this this property? And so what I found with Boutique is that rather than this great idea that I was trying to convince other people about, with Boutique, it was this far more natural evolution of mm-hmm. I was already doing something and people were approaching us. Yeah, They were approaching us to get involved, to scale it, without me even knowing that it was becoming a business. I just yeah. thought, oh, this like side hustle that we love and we're very passionate about is just growing. And then my husband and I found ourselves in what we thought was just kind of like a networking conversation, mm-hmm. but ended up being an interview for Techstars. Cool. <laughs> and so <laughs> we, we had this great conversation with the managing director, Amos, yeah. um, here in Austin, and he offered us a, a spot in the, the next cohort. Yeah. And so, you know, I've, we've been big fans of Techstars for a very long time. And it was like this forcing function of, okay, this side hustle can stay a side hustle or you can quit your jobs and mm-hmm. you can work full time and go through this because you can't like do both, right? Mm-hmm. You have to make a decision. And humans love to keep doors open. We don't like making choices. Uh, we like to keep things um, always available. But this is like, I have to make this very key decision. And Dan and I, um, not only would we be doing this business together, but I actually already uh, knew I was pregnant with our first son. And I was like, oh my goodness. Okay. Uh, We can take the easier path, which is, you know, don't risk everything. Just keep it as a side hustle, you know, just continue as you were. But I basically found that I would regret more 
not taking this chance and seeing it through, then I would regret, you know, missing out on some maternity leave and some, obviously maternity leave is amazing. Yeah. Wish I'd had that. But I, for me, that, that decision point was actually, even though it was difficult in the sense of what we were trying to decide between, and these are Mm -hmm. serious things and like starting a family and a business at the same time, that's risky. But I'm, I'm like, for me, it's about calculated risk. So, Mm -hmm. you know, do we have a way to make sure our bills are paid? Do we have a vision as to, you know, how this company is going to be funded or become successful? You know, do we have things we can fall back on if we need Mm -hmm. to? And we decided to take that leap of faith and it changed everything. I want to pause here for a second because one of the things that really touched me, Rina, in our previous conversation was that decision was not only everything you just described, was the exact moment that you find yourself, you know, about to go for maternity leave mm-hmm. at this big corporate, have these amazing perks. You could have easily say, you know what, when I'm going to choose that, but let me take my leave first. Yep. Let's talk about that for a second. Yeah. Well, that's it. And I basically... The name of this podcast, like the if not now, when, that was it. Yeah. Because you can always postpone things. But yeah. the reality, and like I used to work in, you know, this high, higher ed, the reality that a lot of, you know, when people say, oh, just start at community college and then transfer to a four-year, the rate of people who begin community college with the intention of transferring to a four-year school, because mm-hmm. totally get it, it works for 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 folks, it's 12%. Mm. that's of 100% of the people who started with the intention of then transferring to a four-year degree, only 12% do. And it's that idea that life gets in the way. Mm. Suddenly you take on a phone bill and a car payment and your your rent and you need to get an, um, a part-time job or you need to increase your hours. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, you're still going to school, but it keeps becoming just part of this bigger life that yeah. you're creating. Life starts getting in the way and what you had planned doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. pan out. And so we had that feeling of, okay, well, I mean, Techstars, they were running once a year at yeah, that point, but yeah. then they've actually expanded to twice a year. There are programs all across the world with Techstars that, you know, we could apply for a different class. We could, there are ways that we could push that decision mm-hmm. into the future, but that's not how I live my life. Yeah, it isn't. It's okay. This is the opportunity right now. Yeah, and can we make the most of it right now? Yes, that's insane. Then we can't. We can't. We can't put it off. It's like the book, um, Finn and Grouch said, "Burn the boat," mm. and you just burn the boat. That's exactly right. Imagine you eight months, nine months pregnant, you know, with this passionate side hustle and amazing corporate offering, but in the meantime, deciding and realize. Now is the best time. Yeah. And that speaks for such a courage, such integrity of who you are. Well, thank so you. So now tell us, now you left this corporate, now mm-hmm. you're doing this full time, you have this amazing tech star experience in the in us in the summertime. What's next? And also tell us a little bit more about boutique for audience who yeah. are maybe, you know, it's the first time listening about, you know, what you are offering. Yeah. So I'll start with kind of what boutique is. Yeah. So we're we're kind of building two things. The first is the consumer brand. So we want to to be a household name for travelers mm-hmm. that like when you want to book a vacation home, so like a high quality, beautiful property that's like fully set up with the kitchen and everything. It's mm-hmm. got all the things if you're traveling with kids, like just well, well stocked, well maintained, high quality standard. We want you to book a boutique. We yeah. want to bring that brand into the vacation rental space 
space, the same way that you might have like favorite hotels that mm-hmm. you book mm-hmm. and that you know exactly what a Kimpton, a Hilton, you know, all of those, you know exactly what each of those brands represents. Mm-hmm. We're trying to bring a brand into these vacation rental homes. Mm-hmm. So I love doing that. I love kind of elevating the quality standard. And then the second piece is real estate investment engine. And so the idea is like we're working on really exciting things where you don't have to, you know, personally be able to afford a second home to participate in investing in vacation rentals. Mm. And so, you know, kind of the intricacies of all of that is something like if somebody wants to work with boutique, they can obviously contact us, but we're working on really interesting ways to allow increased participation in who can invest in this type of real estate. Mm -hmm. And what we found is that when you provide the best guest experience, so when we buy homes in the right places, we set them up, we work with a professional designer, Mm -hmm. they are beautiful and well-stocked, the best guest experience translates into the best investor returns. Oh, that's perfect. And so we love, we want to, who do we care most about? You have to care first and foremost about the traveler Mm -hmm. because if you make them happy, they're willing to pay for that experience Mm -hmm. because you've delivered something of value. So deliver something of value and mm-hmm. then everything else follows. Wow. And therefore, we create a memory of the lifetime. That's it. And honestly, I love that because what I think about great memories that I've had with my family yeah. and with my friends, it's when we've rented a home and it's those meals that you're making in the kitchen. It's mm-hmm. the movie nights in the living room. It's things that I love a good hotel. Yeah, absolutely. But you can't do those things. Yeah. It's a very particular type of experience and memory that you have mm-hmm. with group and family travel in these homes. Mm-hmm. So I love that. So beautiful, Luna. And I have to just, I felt so inspired by your journey at this point, because now I feel like everything has come full circle. What you mentioned when you grow up, you know, in this beautiful culture tradition have the two beautiful last names which stand for family mm-hmm. and the laughter the, the, the meal the good food mm-hmm. good experiences and now you have an entire right career in the public sector as well as consulting with this um, startup world now emerging all together now you bring that family that food that best experience and memory for for customers, for shoppers, for travelers, for all over the world to having that. Yes, I think that's a beautiful way that you're describing it. I mean, that's that's the goal, that we want to set up this beautiful portfolio. So we have our boutique homes there in, I think, 11 different cities yes. now. So we're across the U.S. and we want to you know grow from there. And the idea is we want everyone to be able to book a boutique. But it's like, I love that we can be that backdrop mm-hmm. for incredible memories. And yeah. it's, it can be the really... It doesn't have to be a big event. We've had, you know, people get engaged at our properties. We've had, you know, 90th birthday parties. But it can also be just the simple gatherings where you are just appreciating the people that you're with. And, like, for me, there's nothing better than that. And, like, I think the pandemic made that clear for a lot of people. Is like that human contact and that time together, it's critical. And so I love that we can help to create that. And when you stay at a boutique, you're not worried. We get questions. Like, guests actually ask us in advance sometimes, like, hey, do I need to bring my own towels or my own pillows or toilet paper it's like, oh, no, like you must have been burned before that. No, you don't need to bring any of that. We are fully going to take care of you. The yeah. kitchen has all of your cooking essentials, like obviously bring your food. Yeah. But we're going to have all of the equipment, the essential like spices and things like that yeah. so that you can prepare these great meals. Focus on that. Don't worry about all the other stuff because we're going to have that covered. You Aww. just focus on having a good time. You focus on creating beautiful memories. We take care of the rest. Yes, Exactly. 
That's amazing. So, Rina, back to you. That moment, you and your husband Dan decided now this is the moment. Let's build our business. Now, tell us how is the experience actually building a business with your husband? Ooh, okay, so. Building a business in general is hard, and what's interesting is building it with your also life partner. There are challenges in the sense that you're around each other all the time. Yep. the The lines between work and life are super, super blurred. Yeah. But I would say the benefits for me and everyone is going to have their own experience if they if they do this, which I don't know how common it is. But um, for me, the benefits far outweigh any of the challenges because I have somebody who I know is just as committed as mm-hmm. I am. Mm-hmm. And like we know what the stakes are. We have this young family with our two kids. We know we have we are not working on other professional endeavors. Like this is what we're committing ourselves to. And if we could be successful in this, the whole rest of the world opens up. And I also know he's never gonna like withhold information or like you know you don't have to worry about like yeah. oh Dan's probably trying to get a job somewhere else. Like nope. <laughs> like we are fully committed and a hundred percent transparent with each other. And so I think good co-founders have that. They don't have to be mm-hmm. married to be like that. But I know that we have 100% honesty and we are fully bought into what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And so to have that, Mm -hmm. that's awesome. So I love that. And I also know we have different talents. So the things that I really lean into or, you know, am kind of naturally more gifted, et cetera, most of those are distinct from the things that Dan is incredibly talented at. And so there are definitely areas that we overlap, but there are ways that we can separate out what we're working on mm-hmm. um, to really take advantage of the differences that we have with mm-hmm. how we operate. And so it actually works out really, really well. Wow. I love that. Sounds like two things doing really well on your way. One is having that commitment that you both on the same page regarding what you're building and the passion that impact driven in that aspect. That's one. And secondly, having that diverse skill set, you know, from what you naturally give that versus what he does. And I think having that complementary skill set, those two elements sounds like what really a key to you know your success. You know, finding the right co-founder. So you all can one plus one equals three. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, starting a company is super hard. And I think that's something that there are lots of stories about Mm -hmm. the successes of startups. And sometimes it can feel, and you know, there are parodies of this, but it's like, we just had a great idea. And then we got funding and we built it and then it was acquired or they went public. And it's like, that is not the story. That is, that's a highlight reel that is very uncommon. The reality is there are a lot of difficult moments and it's about knowing how do you mm-hmm. handle those difficult moments and how do you keep moving forward and keep finding the opportunities mm-hmm. and building even though it's not going to come easy. Because if you're creating something new, that itself is inherently challenging. Yeah, And so we have to be, and that, this is something that I've grown a lot more comfortable with. It's just knowing not everything is going to work out. So mm-hmm. I can't, I can't beat myself up if not every investor that I talk to wants to invest. If yeah. every you know traveler doesn't love what you know, you mm-hmm. have to be comfortable with not everything working out. But you have to have that vision of where you're going. What are the things that really matter? Who are we working on this with together? Mm-hmm. And then keep moving forward. Always, it's kind of like. The, you know, anyone when they talk about a company, they want to see the progress, like revenue, profit, like up and to the right. It's this roller coaster of like there are great things and there's tough things, but everything is ultimately trending up and to the right. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking about hard things, what is the 
maybe most challenging things that you have done, you know, since you start boutique, or maybe think about other way is what maybe a biggest mistake you might have experienced. So I would say that just knowing how to approach both the the strategy of、mm-hmm. the company and being willing to make changes to what your original vision is, I think that was an important thing for us. That we had a vision,、um, without getting too much into all the details, we had a vision about how the company would be structured in terms of like who owns the real estate. You know, if somebody invests in the company, what are they investing in the real estate or just the tech company? And we had a vision, and then we took it out into the world and basically got feedback that your vision is great for you, but in terms of the way that The rest of the world is going to view those types of investments. They need to be separate.、Mm-hmm. And for us, I think I am really glad that we had an open mind about that because、mm-hmm. that's just critical. Is that you can say like, "This is my beautiful baby," and like, "Don't、yeah. you love it?" And the reality <laughs> is like, you need it to be your beautiful baby that listens to the market. You have to understand. You have to read the room. Yeah. And be willing to make changes, which I think is really important. And you also, I would say, it's not really.、Um, I wouldn't say it's like a, a less a, a failure or anything like that, but just knowing that I, I would say maybe even timing on fundraising.、Mm-hmm. So when we graduated from the TechStars program, our demo day was in March of 2020. So like, what was happening right then? The pandemic. Wow. <laughs> so yeah, and I think our we initially thought, okay, we have this killer team. We just went through this great program. We're going to go and fundraise and do our pre-seed round. And the market was like, no, you are not, because you know investors were trying to shore up their existing companies, make sure they could weather whatever the storm was. Yeah. And there was so much unknown concerns about you know hospitality and travel ends up drivable vacation rentals, these single family residences, really strong sector.、Uh, actually, saw growth during the pandemic. So you know it ends up we actually saw really positive. Growth over this time period, but I think we wasted some time thinking that you could start fundraising immediately in that climate, and、mm-hmm. we pivoted right. So we're saying, nope, let's actually focus on building out more of the the team, the technology, our processes, how we're setting up the company. Like, let's focus on other things. But you can waste your time、mm-hmm. having conversations that aren't necessarily fruitful. But that's that's just part of the part of the process. Wow, Rina, I felt pivoting is like. Your DNA, yeah. Every single step, every single experience you have, I think you always have that adapt, you know, adaptivity and have that open mind in whatever situation you enter to. Yeah, I mean that is brilliant. Thank you. I I do actually. I like keeping an open mind and a willingness to say, okay, this was our plan.、Mm-hmm. This is a better plan now.、Mm. I think that is so so inspiring. That having that tenacity to decide that and move forward. I mean, in a pandemic time, and you are in sort of a rental space where、mm-hmm. imagining is is very challenging, and you have you still have the optimism to say, you know what, let's pivot, let's keep going. This is still what we wanted to build. That is incredible. Yeah, and I'm just grateful that we had, you know, an awesome team that we started with. We've grown the team since then. But it's also it's about not just like my one one co-founder Dan, but the other co-founders, the other team members. You know, are they on that ride with you? Right?、Mm-hmm. Are you on that ride with them? Because、mm-hmm. it's very much it's it's a team. Team experience,、mm-hmm. um, whether you're successful or not, and to have people that are willing to say, okay, yeah,、mm-hmm. let's let's do that, and. I feel very, very fortunate to be working with people that I I work with. Oh my goodness! Of course, people, people matters. Those are people that truly, you know, make our venture even more exciting. Yes. 
So, Rina, you know, come a long journey. There's a lot of up, a lot of down, and so many fun assignments in between. So today, or, you know, what inspired you? What drives you, Rina?、Mm. To be honest, my drive—it's an internal drive, and it comes from my parents. Honestly,、mm. I feel so fortunate to have had the childhood that I did with these incredible. They are definitely two of my role models, and I know that their lives—neither of them had easy lives. But they always had that strong work ethic,、mm-hmm. uh, a sense of service to others,、mm-hmm. and that drive. That that for me was very influential, and so I grew up with that, and I see that, and I respect that, and I want to put that into my own practice. And now I have my own kids,、yeah. who I want them to be proud of what you know we have done as parents and the impact that we're making in this world. And so、yeah. it really comes from this incredibly supportive environment and knowing,、mm-hmm. okay, if I If I have these opportunities, I don't want to waste them. I want to honor those who have come before me、mm-hmm. and those that are on this journey with me, and do everything I can to be successful together. So beautiful. One day we're all gonna die. I'm curious, Rina. What would you want to put on your gravestone? Yeah, well, it's some of those things. It's some of those things that I want. I want to be known as someone who cared,、mm. right? So I think there has to be, you know, a compassion or an empathy for others. I think that is critical.、Mm-hmm. I also want to be someone who didn't quit easily, right?、Mm. So it's like you have to be know when to call it when it's no longer, you know, a viable path.、Um, but be resilient, and that whole idea of going for it—that even if I. Don't get a lot of the things that I go for. I still keep putting myself out there, and I don't let somebody else take me out of the game. In the sense that if you can listen to you know the stats on like VC funding for women founded companies, you could look at all those things and say, oh, this is a tough ride. Like、mm-hmm. I should just do something different.、Um, but that would be somebody else's opinion. Affecting my choices, and then I'm removing myself from the game. I'm not going to do that. I love that. So it's like if I, you know, apply or you know try to build something and it doesn't work, that's on me, and it's always going to be on me、mm-hmm. as opposed to I took myself out for, of consideration entirely.、Mm-hmm. So、um, I think those are the things that that I care about. But I'd also like to have you know built something meaningful for people.、Yeah. I want people to you know enjoy. All of that and the way that I had great role models, I'd like to to be that for others if I can. Oh my goodness, I'm really inspired by what you just said earlier. I think it's so inspi- empowering to knowing that you have a hundred percent control on how we show up, rather than、mm-hmm. other people to control how we will play the game. That's right. We decide. We do. I love that so much.、Um, with that, you know, Rina, what's next for you and or for boutique? Yeah, so we've got a lot of great growth planned, and so we're continuing to add more homes to come up from the kind of internal perspective on that real estate investment engine. You know, interesting kind of creative ways that we're we're building out the company, and ultimately, I want to be a household name. So that's、mm-hmm. that's what we're aiming for. And the way that you you know book a you know hotel, we want you to book a boutique when you're thinking about. Vacation homes,、yeah. and so we have a lot that we need to do to get there.、Mm-hmm. Um, but that—that's what we're, I would say, squarely focused on. And then, you know, from a life perspective, we've got my kids, and we're,、yeah. you know, raising them. So we're we're building the the business and our family at the same time. And you know, sometimes we're tired, and I know that, but we also have our eyes. 
wide open as to what we're doing and, and where we want to go. Mm-hmm. Wow, I love that laser laser focus and that impact throughout. You know, with that, Rina, I'm curious. You know, you, you, your business truly survived in a pandemic, which is really not a small uh, feat. I'm curious what advice you might give to a fellow entrepreneurs who maybe, you know, in a challenging time, maybe think about raising capital, maybe think about growing the team. How would you say to her or him in mm-hmm. that regard? Yeah, absolutely. So I would say, rather than focus on the no on the whatever it is that you were trying to get that didn't work out because you could spend a lifetime trying to analyze those things and feeling bad for yourself and you yeah. know feeling like things are unfair um, rather than than dwell on that i always take that to say okay so what is it there's something i heard earlier that you know something that's like a failure some they refer to it as just an early attempt at success <laughs> where um the idea is you know, the things that didn't work out, okay, let that inform where are we going now? So what else is on the table? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if you talk to these different VCs and it wasn't a fit, then who else should you talk to? Mm -hmm. Who else can I, you know, it's about the what can I do now? Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes we're surprised at what is actually within our reach if we just do that analysis of like, okay, so that didn't work out, but what are all these other areas that we Mm -hmm. can then explore? Because a lot of life is just a numbers game. And yeah. the same way from a college admissions perspective, the, you know, the admissions reader is having a good day when they view your application at one school and the admissions um, officer is having a bad day when they read you at another school that you would be surprised at, you know, the same conversation, but with 10 different people can have 10 different mm-hmm. outcomes. And also I would say, so it's like, know what are those future opportunities that you can keep pursuing mm-hmm. and then being willing to kind of have that the good fortune of whatever might come. So this like bizarre connection, like we actually have somebody that we're working with who just submitted a form on our website Mm -hmm. to express their interest in buying homes ends up, you know, if we had just ignored that or said, Oh, it's probably spam, whatever we'd have missed out on a huge opportunity. Somebody that's become an incredible partner. And so I would say keeping an open mind Mm -hmm. about the different opportunities that do present themselves. Wow, Rina. You know, you is, my experience of you is you are like this unstoppable force. <laughs> you always move forward. And I think you bring a lot of not only courage, not only integrity, but with that intelligence, with that, like kind of remove away the emotional piece of it and really make sure you made the right choices. And that I believe is one of the fundamental elements that make you truly a superwoman, super leader at what you do. And I do have, you know, one last question. Is, do you have any fears, Rina? You see inside to me that you're just always going forward. Yeah, uh, to be totally frank, the only fear I have is a fear of loss. And I think that that's like one of the most human fears mm. to have. And so, you know, whether that is... Uh, you know, losing someone that you love, because that's that's the only thing that really matters. I would mm. say material things, obviously you want to be able to, you know, have health insurance yeah. and a comfortable place to live and all of that. But the only thing that really would get to me is losing someone that I love, right? And so you do everything you can with the time that you do have and the people that you do have that I don't have real fears other than that. Wow, I love that. That back to uh, your initial quest is all about the family, mm-hmm. all about the memories. And therefore, I think that's why you are so, uh, I think you are such a, you know, nice, wonderful human being. But you're so ruthless in business in terms of what what impact you are creating and you are laser focused on where you're going next. I think that's incredible. 
Well, thank you. It's honestly, it's been a joy to be able to talk about that journey because it's not a straight line. And I think mm-hmm. it's, it's good to say that um, and, and to talk about the realities of that. Yeah. Well, like Steve Jobs said, you know, looking forward, nothing ever connect. But looking backwards, that's how all the dots connect. Mm. And I definitely believe that, Lena, there's no accidents how you are, who you are today. And looking back your journey, I just felt uh, so honored and so grateful to get to uh, reveal this masterpiece in front of us. So truly, tremendous for my Bottom of my heart, Lena, thank you so much for coming on live today, share your story with us. And I truly felt so inspired. And I also want to thank everybody who is listening today. I hope you also enjoy this amazing story as much as I do. And I cannot wait to talk to you all next week. Bye, guys. 